Hey everybody, welcome to our New Life Men's Podcast. My name is Gabe Jenkins, and over the next few weeks, we're going to continue our series entitled Man Pressure, where we're simply taking a closer look at pressure and stress and how to grow in our ability to handle it well. And so I'm going to have a few different men on the podcast uh, in the coming weeks. These are guys who have different jobs and different titles, and I want to ask them uh, about the pressure and the stress they face in their job and how they've grown in their ability to handle it well. And so this week, I'm going to play a conversation for you that I recently had with Dr. Ronnie Hammers. He's a neurosurgeon in Colorado Springs, and uh, he's a new lifer. I've really enjoyed getting to know him over the last couple of years. He's a brilliant man, but if you spend time around him, it's also apparent that he's pretty serious about his faith. He loves God. And uh, one thing I know about my life and my future is that I will never find myself in a situation where I'm having to operate on somebody's brain. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure about that. And yet, uh, as I was listening to Ronnie talk about stress and pressure, it was really helpful to me. It was really inspiring to me. It challenged me. And uh, he shared some things that directly apply to my work. Uh, even though, again, there are so many differences between what he does and what I do. And I think you'll be able to say the same thing after you listen to this conversation. I think it'll be uh, challenging and inspiring. And so enjoy this conversation with Dr. Ronnie Hammers. Dr. Ronnie Hammers is with us on the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Happy to be here. How did you, let's just start by uh, rewinding years back. How, how did you first get into medicine? It would be wrong to say it was by accident. I don't think you and I believe things like that. And, and, and you know, I had worked hard to have some measure of success, you know, in high school and starting college. I, I wasn't fooling around. So I was setting myself for some degree of success, but medicine wasn't my plan until uh, you know, I finished my first year of, of college and went out to lunch one day with my dad and went to the truck stop, which is where we went to lunch because we were always dirty. I worked at the tire store. So I'm there, you know, humping tires all day long. And we're, so we go to the truck shop, grab lunch. And he said, what are you going to do with yourself? And I said, what do you mean? I'm going to take over the business. You know, you're, you're going to eventually age out as your father aged out, you know, be passed on to me in some measure. And, and I'll, that's what I'll do have a chance to be successful in this business, a business that I know well. And, you know, as you know, in business, you can create some real opportunities. I could really be, you know, successful. He said, you really think you need to go to school for that? Because in retrospect, he, he went to no college whatsoever, and he still ran this mm -hmm. company. And, and for that period of time in our region, he was measurably successful. So he said, you know, if, if you want to have that kind of success, you don't need an education. And so... He said, don't you want to do anything else? Maybe, you know, like be a doctor or something? <laughs> I said, well, I guess I could do that. <laughs> Thought about it. And that week went out to the community college and, and, you know, let's put a plug that you don't have to spend, you know, 100 grand a year on school to become anything successful. Mm -hmm. I was going to community college, went out there, changed my, my major or changed my direction in studies. And uh, next thing you know, well, here we are. Yeah, it's all worked out that way. So it was it was almost serendipitous how it happened. So that's how I got to where I'm at. Wisdom from your dad that happened at a truck stop diner. That's awesome. that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> that's it. So you're a neurosurgeon, and and uh, what does a typical day for a, a neurosurgeon even look like? 
so I, I, there are certain things that might surprise and certain things that might not. The parts that don't surprise are long hours, periods of intensity, because we're not talking about the mundane. We're talking about you know the brain and the spine and the spinal cord. These are not mundane topics. And, and it's common for me to look at a patient when they come in my clinic and I say, under your own power, volitionally, you came to see a neurosurgeon because you know what I do for a living. I'm a surgeon of the central nervous system. Come on. You must have some really good reason to be seeing me. And, and the point I make is it, there is some measure of intensity because most people, when they set foot in the neurosurgery office, this is in their lifetime and certainly it, measuring them medically or physiologically, this is the biggest thing that could ever be going yeah, on in their yeah. life. Right, you maybe a little high blood pressure here and a strep throat there, but when they set foot in our office, we're often talking about one of the biggest things that's ever been going on in their life. And so, there is there are elements of intensity when we're talking to patients about the new diagnosis of a malignant brain tumor. I'm in my office very early. I'm in my office or the hospital until very late many days. I don't think a five day work week is necessarily common in neurosurgery. But the uncommon things about a typical day for me is, you may not think of neurosurgery in this way, but we get to have some really, really meaningful relationships. Yeah. Because when you're in the trenches, my team, I have, I have certain assistants, I, I have a person that stands right next to me, my nurse practitioner, we, we do these things together. You actually have some really in-depth relationships you think, oh, neurosurgery, it's just brain tumors and head injuries and spinal cord injuries and all this stuff. But the truth is, there's a flip side to that. We see some really treatable things and we have incredible opportunities for people to have these amazing outcomes. People have amazing outcomes and there's nothing better. I mean, some really redeeming moments in the day when someone comes in and says, I am measurably better. Yeah. I, am, I am a different person because of going through this neurosurgical process. And so, you know, we think of neurosurgery sometimes as just doom and gloom, just brain tumors, just horrible things, but there's some real redemption in it too. So, mm -hmm. you know, ups and downs, and that's the best way to describe most, uh, most days for any doctor and certainly neurosurgery, ups and downs, and maybe that's even why we're here today. Yeah, so you're, uh, on days when you have surgery, these are long surgeries, and you have to be excellent uh, the whole time. I'm fascinated by that, that, that Ronnie, you have learned to perform at such a high level in some extremely stressful environments. Speak to that. How, how have you learned how to do that? So I, I think there's a lot that goes into that. It's not any one thing, you know, I, maybe it doesn't surprise people, but, you know, going through my education, going through those processes, academically or intellectually, there was a predisposition for this. And, and, I, I don't want to suggest that any person would would even want to handle the body of knowledge required to do this. But so so I, I can say that there's a certain intellectual capacity that you must apply to this. That comes over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I can look back because we you kind of get feeling bad for yourself every once in a while, and you look at your friends when you're in certain periods of your training or your experience, and you feel a little jealous because. 
some of my my friends, my peers, got to finish high school and move right on to generating income. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't. I, I went into college. So you finish college, and and at that point, now you're talking about a huge degree of your of your peers, the people you grew up with. All right, they finished college. Now they get to move on to that next phase of their life, generating income and and moving on with certain relationships and certain uh, social and recreational opportunities. And and that's that's not how it happens. So it comes over a long period of time because after college you go to medical school. It's an, it's another commitment of time where you hone this intellect. Don't think I just woke up one day and oh boy, he's really smart. I'll bet he would brain surgery. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is you take some intellectual capacity over a very long period of time because now you're finishing medical school and you can look around at this tiny, tiny percentage of your peers and say, all right, all my friends finished high school or college or they did this or did that. They're starting families and they're, they're, they're earning, right? And they're starting to be able to afford going on vacation, whatever it is, and maybe you're not there yet. And so you finished medical school and this group of people, they, they all go on to sometimes relatively short residency, so which is where you get your, your specific training in whatever field you've chosen after medical school. And a lot of them are three years or four years. Well, neurosurgery is seven. Mm. And so over this period of time, look at what's being honed. You're honing in your intellect. You're honing in a very specific skill set, which is not independent from intellect, but separate in and mm-hmm. of itself. And then you're honing in this discipline you're honing in you know in residence you're working about 100 hours a week you you get good at working 100 hours a week and i'm not endorsing these kind of conditions i'm not endorsing working yourself to the bone yeah. but what i'm saying is over a long period of time post high school it's another 15 years before you establish yourself mm-hmm. independently and over that period of time is when you get good mm-hmm. at it it's when because what you were referencing a moment ago is you have to be on your game to a degree of excellence that is not found in many other fields. And you have to do that day in, day out, sometimes without notice. When they call you at two in the morning, they say, hey, we got a patient in the ER. And, and let me just summarize it by saying what they're going to tell you is they're going to die in a half an hour if we don't do something. Mm-hmm. And you drive into the hospital. And in that moment, you perform you know, you've woken up out of a deep sleep, you go on to perform a life-saving procedure with a degree of excellence in, in a lack of any margin that yeah. is uncommon to most things we do otherwise. And and you could stand back at one moment and say, wow, Ronnie, that's so amazing. Let me pat you on the back. And that's fine. You can pat on the back if you want. But the real, really, to answer your question is to say, this was decades in the making. Decades. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can talk about 10,000 hours, right? Becoming an expert and becoming a professional. 10,000 hours. That's where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that can be any profession. This Mm -hmm. idea of just hone the craft. Mm -hmm. Stay with it. Continue to whatever a man is doing that's listening. I think that's inspiring what you're saying, Ronnie, to stay with it. Hone the craft. And um, take us back to the early years because now you're a really well-respected, renowned uh, neurosurgeon. But what was it? Like in the early years when you didn't have a lot of experience and yet you still have the same pressures, life, life and death right before you. So it's, you know, I, I'm not naive to what, what we're here to talk about today, which is stress. And I think people are going to look 
if you look objectively at my situation, neurosurgery, I think you could say, boy, that sounds like a little bit more stress than, you know, sitting at home on a Saturday afternoon doing nothing. It sounds like a lot of stress. And I think it it, it is. But what I would say is when you look at the early years, it was the pressure of those moments that builds you into the greater confidence, the greater efficiency or effectiveness to do my craft today. And I think, I, I mean, I was just talking to someone yesterday. I can remember a moment where I went up to my bedroom in my second year of practice and I laid on my bed and I cried. And I'm not talking about had a little pity party. I'm talking about tears rolling down my face because there was it was overwhelming at that moment. What I knew was coming that I had to master, that I had to, to do. You say, wait a second, you just told us about 15 years of, of education building up to this, and you got into your second year of practice and you were still overwhelmed to the point of tears? Yep, mm -hmm. sure did. Those early years, and, and, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm in my ninth year of practice now, and so I, am, I have not arrived by any stretch. But if you want to look back, take year nine and year one, sure, big difference. Take year nine and year 25, I'll bet you there'll be a huge difference there too. But I have gained perspective. And those early years were tough. They were tough because, I mean, you just haven't done it. And I don't care. <clears throat> I don't care how good you are at anything. You get better and better the more you do it. And it may not even be that you were ever bad at what you do, but you become more efficient. The confidence that exists within you allows you to do things with, with a greater degree of, again, I'll go back to efficiency, and it's not about being fast in the things we do, but if you can do it with less pressure upon you, you can actually focus on other things at the same time. Now, let me tell you what happens. So in the first year, first few years of my practice, it took every ounce of my energy to perform neurosurgery. I didn't have a lot left over to nurture relationships. I didn't have a whole lot left over to endeavor recreational and social activities. And in the operating room, for instance, in that very specific time in the operating room while I'm operating, I had very little margin to have a conversation with anyone, to even let the staff turn on the radio. I mean, it was intense in that way. And here we are talking about where, you know, how do you manage stress in these, in these moments? And what I'll tell you is, it, it says in, in James 1, 2, what it says is consider it joy. And, and obviously you can sometimes only see that even in retrospect. <laughs> consider it joy whenever you face trials because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance when it finishes its work, brings you to a point of maturity and completeness where you're lacking nothing. And by the way, it goes on later in that, in that scripture to talk about if you need wisdom, mm -hmm. ask for it and God will give it to you. And I can look back on those early years. They were tough. I can recognize now I was having, I was having different arenas of my life, of my vocation, perfected by way of enduring trials, and during that perseverance and letting maturity yeah, happen yeah. in me, that's how I view the early. That's how I view the early years. Now, it took me a little while to recognize what was actually happening. I think the error that I could have made back then 
was to fall victim to these trials. And, and I think the two things you, you can check out, you can say, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this type of stress. I didn't sign up for this trial for this. I, this is too much. And you can check out yeah. and you can miss your calling. You can miss your opportunity. You can miss wh whatever blessings and, 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 and different things you can pour into others. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing, and this is where I did fall victim. And quite frankly, when I say I did, to this day, I still do, but I think a lot less. You can fall victim to letting that stress overwhelm you so much that you miss every other opportunity, which is relationships. I told you there's a point where I... I mean, I had unhealthy relationships, even in the operating room or with different people I worked with in the hospital because every amount of my energy went towards performing my craft. And so I had no other opportunity to take care of other people. Yeah. So what did that process look like for you to realize, okay, I'm not, I'm not handling my relationships well? Yeah. So what happened was, in, in, in this was Christ's work within me to some to some degree where I could I could sit back. And if you can ever remove yourself from the situation just enough, maybe you're just driving home from work and you can just pause and reflect on your day. I mean, I could honestly look in the mirror and say, that was not good. Mm -hmm. That conversation, that interaction. In fact, on some days it was those interactions. It was more than one. You can just look back and say, Boy, I'm glad Pastor wasn't here watching over me. I'm glad my parents weren't even here because my mom would have disciplined me at that moment. Ronnie, don't you dare treat someone like that. You can look in your own self and you can say, that wasn't good. That is not who I want to be. That is not a reflection. That's not why I went into this. That's not why I'm pouring myself out. And then, and I am certain you must know this too, people come alongside you and say, it's not what you want. Mm -hmm. I had, now listen to this, I had non-Christian partners. Um, people who were not necessarily, they didn't get up every morning to be guided by Christian principles. They were coming alongside of me saying, young man, I don't think this is who you want reflected. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is what you want people to think of you. I had people, non-Christian people pulling me aside saying, you better tighten this thing up. And then of course, my wife mm -hmm. would come alongside and, and, you know, here we are in full disclosure. Here I am telling you how I've, how I managed the, the highest pressures put upon me just last week, seven days ago, my wife listened to a conversation I had with some hospital staff and she said, you're a jerk. Hmm. She said, you didn't do that well enough. Hmm. And so I, I, I said, you don't want the stress to come alongside you and derail you in ways that you just walk away from that calling, from that purpose, from that opportunity. But the other thing is, you can be, you can have this trial put upon you and you can end up putting so much of your energy to it. And in the beginning, I get it because you're not good at it yet. That you neglect everything else and you hurt people yeah. and you burn bridges and you, you, you create a reputation for yourself that's dishonorable. One that you don't want for yourself. You would have never chosen that. And so this is why, count it all joy when you go through trials... And if you can just persevere these trials, you can come out a more mature and complete person. And I think that's what you want. I, I, I think, because I, I know people would say, well, Ronnie, you got stress on you. So tell me about your diet and tell me about your fitness and tell me about all the different things you spend your money on to get rid of stress and all this stuff. And there are practical things that I think we'll talk about in just a moment. But I think where the conversation starts is to realize you're under stress, to take that stress and endure it in ways that you don't give up your calling, but in ways that you don't compromise and burn bridges and, and, and hurt relationships. 
and endure so you can be made into that, that, that perfect creation that Christ wants mm-hmm. you to be. Mm-hmm. And I love the humility that you have, Ronnie, to take an honest look at yourself in the mirror and to let other people speak candidly into your wife, whether it's coworkers, whether it's your wife. I think you're modeling something that's really healthy there. Be honest with yourself and let other people be honest with you as well. I, I think that's how you're going to have your greatest success. I mean, there's, a, there's a big topic out there in the world right now about vulnerability. And I don't disagree with it. I think it's a healthy conversation to have. There's some very, very well-written books and, and speakers on this topic. But I, I think that's when people start to trust. And I can tell you in the hospital, I have won people over who hated me. I've won them over with vulnerability, going to them and saying, hey, I was wrong. The way I handled this, the way it manifested, the way I treated you, and sometimes the way you treat yourself, Mm -hmm. to be able to to honestly look people in the eye and say, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. that is not how I wanted this to go. And I'm telling you, I have won people over who hated me and now they're my greatest champions. They're my greatest support. I could call on them in any instant in the hospital at any time of the day, and they would go to bat for me. And and, and by the way, if you want to just be really secular and objective about this, you, you go and you enter your profession. You enter your calling for the purpose of accomplishing a task. And for me, that calling is neurosurgery. That task is getting patients who have neurosurgical disease better. And I'm telling you, when you can endure these periods, when you can rise above it, you have teams that go to bat for you, your goal, your secularly measured goal happens. That is to say, patients get better. And when I've got nursing staff and I've got hospital folks and I've got my own team going to bat because we've overcome these issues as we just discussed, I mean, we see some amazing outcomes. Mm-hmm. Your, your goals become realized. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, very good. Talk to us about some of the practical things you do each day to handle stress well. I was just listening to, to a, a, a leadership speaker, John Maxwell, and he summed it up better than I could ever do. So let me, let me kind of dovetail on some of the things that I do by using some of the examples he gives because the two things that I get right, and I certainly don't want to sound arrogant as I say this, but I know that these are very, very important because they've manifested in my own life you can pick up any self-help book, any leadership book, and you'll see it. Consistency and discipline, they matter. And, and you can say, well, wait a second, man. You just, we're talking about stress. We're talking about managing stress, hopefully decreasing some levels of stress. And you're throwing out consistency and discipline. Those sound like some of the hardest <laughs> things. And, and there's truth to that. But, but what I want to say is if you can begin to incorporate these things into your daily life, you're going to see some of the struggles melt away. And so I am very consistent. I, I, do, I don't skip anything. I don't cut corners. I believe that's when people and relationships get hurt when you cut corners. I cross every T and dot every I, not to be rote in the way I approach things, but because what I want to do is establish consistency because that's how I miss nothing And that's how I believe other people can see an example in you. So I do the same thing almost every day, almost every scenario. And when I say I do the same thing, it is a relatively disciplined life. And I'm not talking about militaristic. What I'm talking about is getting up saying, if I'm going to be successful, 
in this high calling, there are certain things that I've got to get right. You've got to take care of yourself. This, because if you're empty, you're done. Yeah. You're shot. There's nothing left. So you've got to make sure that yourself physically, mentally, relationally, and, and I'll throw out even socially, which is kind of a combination of those things, that's got to be there. And so I do take relatively good care of my body. I'm I'm not in great shape, but I'm in good shape. I make dietary, I make bad dietary choices all the time, but I make enough good ones mm-hmm. to overcome it. I hit the gym on a regular basis, and some days it's an intense workout, other days it's not very intense. I start my day early in the morning. If I don't get started, if I don't accomplish something of value by 7 or 8 a.m., now granted, I start much earlier than that, but even on weekends, I, I, I like to just make sure that I have created something of value. Even if it's just sitting down on, on the back deck having a cup of coffee. I, uh, so discipline and consistency mm-hmm. really, really matter. Yeah. Yeah, and for uh, every man listening, uh, you know, work oftentimes doesn't just stop when uh, a man punches out, but work follows the man home. Mm-hmm. And so how have you created boundaries in your life to to uh, be able to invest well into your family and, and do other things that you enjoy doing? I, I think it pours out from individual all the way out to the greatest reach you could possibly have. So like I said, I take really good care of myself. And I, I do. I said I mentioned that you know dietary, physical, etc. But I also, and I was relaying this to you in another conversation earlier, so I'll repeat it. I take time on a regular basis to check out from the more intense things in my life, which for me is my work, which is neurosurgery. And so, I, I was taught once that the Sabbath. I think it means traditionally what we all know it to mean, and, and we. In this country, we routinely attend church, and we look to not have to go to work that day. I think a lot of Christians try to take off work that day. And, and we know the kind of the more traditional indoctrinated description of the Sabbath, and I'm certainly not here to, to say anything against that because it's accurate. But I was taught by a, a very successful businessman, and, and maybe that's kind of who this statement's directed towards. There are those who are motivated, achieving great things, high calling, maybe even type A people. I was taught that a practical definition of the Sabbath is to take a day off and not be creative. Hmm. Because it's not hard for me to not go in the hospital on a Sunday some weeks. And it's not hard for me to sit at home. But what my mind's doing is it's racing. What my mind is doing is it's determining, should I go pick up those monthly neurosurgical journals and read them on this Sunday afternoon? Because I don't have time Monday through Saturday to do it. And, and next thing you know, you've taken that one small portion of your week and you have never checked out fully. And when I heard this speaker describe a day of not being creative throughout the week, there was a freedom. There was just this, this, this sensation that came over me of, wait a second, you're telling me that I can set aside neurosurgery, no matter what its demands are, I can set aside neurosurgery for today, Mm -hmm. for this period of time, and I can sit down on a Sunday afternoon, and I can put on a pair of sweatpants, grab a bag of chips, and watch a football game from start to finish. And there is some real freedom in that. And and so this is how I take care of myself. Mm -hmm. The next thing I do, of course, 
is I look for opportunity to take care of my family, and it starts with my wife. And, uh, you know, I, I, although I probably have different finances as some, because, you know, I don't think people would be surprised to say that neurosurgeons mm-hmm. are well compensated. Fine. Set that aside for a moment. Just know that no matter what your finances are, I think whatever we put our finances towards mm-hmm. speaks a lot about what we value. And so my wife and I have gone to great lengths to go out together. And you know, it may be a $100 dinner, which sounds expensive, but if that's what it takes for me to get alone time with my wife, that's what I'm going to do. And, and so we're, we're going to get a babysitter, and I'm going to say no to something at work because this particular night is set aside where we've got someone coming to help with the kids, and I've set aside a time where I'm not going to work. And I've set aside some of our finances towards this thing, and we're going to get alone time. And if you're thinking, wow, Ronnie, that's amazing. You're, no, I don't get it right all the time. But that's something that we do on a very regular basis because we, we're certain that out of the health of our marriage, which we fight for yeah. on a regular basis, out of the health of our marriage will flow health in our family. But it reciprocates because you know the health in my marriage can flow back into health in my vocation, can help me to process these trials and persevering, mm-hmm. as, as I mentioned earlier. That's, that's how I take care of myself so that there's enough left over to carry out my vocation. And you can't do that without saying no at times. It's tough. It's tough. And so there are times where you have to say yes. Just two nights ago, uh, I got called into the hospital completely unexpectedly and ended up doing surgery on Friday night. Come on, man. It's Friday night. It's supposed to be the weekend. I'm supposed to have time off. I literally had dinner on the countertop. I was getting some dinner out to start making it. And I went from starting to cook dinner to rushing into the hospital and doing surgery. So there are times you can't say no. Mm-hmm. And that's why everything else has to flow with such discipline mm-hmm. and such consistency and an aim to, and, and I'm going to keep going back to James 1, starting in, in, in verse 2, because if you can endure these trials and perseverance and become complete and, and mature in what you do, you can afford to sometimes actually devote some energy towards, you know, in my case, towards going into the hospital at unexpected times because you've got your relationships where they belong. You've got your family where it belongs. You've got yourself where it belongs. And you actually do have a little extra to Mm -hmm. give on behalf of someone else, on behalf of a greater mission. Mm -hmm. You might look at it and say, you know, I got to be honest. I don't know what Ronnie's talking about. I don't have a lot of stress in my life. I don't have that much going on. I live most days... I really don't feel any pressure. This is really great. Number one, I applaud you. If you have gotten to such a point where the, the, the things that are thrown at you every day really are managed well and you really your blood pressure never really rises, you never really sense any fear. You never. But I'm also going to challenge you. Is it possible that you're not engaged enough? And what I mean by that is, in that scripture I was talking about a moment ago, when trials come your way is what it said. It said when. It didn't say, oh, that that one time if. It didn't say just in case a trial ever comes. It says when a trial comes your way. And I'm going to challenge, if if you don't feel like you're facing many trials in your life, or if you've gotten to a point in your life, maybe you've, and and here I am speaking to people older than me, and I don't know if I have permission to do so, but I'm going to anyway. (laughs) You know, I've hit your 50s, 60s, 70s, and and you've kind of checked out from, you know, life. I'm going to challenge you to say maybe you're not engaged like you should be. And that's kind of a practical thing. If you kind of go through your your work and 
you just never face any struggles. You never face any challenges. Maybe you're not applying yourself hard enough. Maybe you are not pushing yourself to be the best fill in the blank that you can be. And I'll say it from a spiritual perspective because we all kind of know the, the, the adage of, you know, Satan doesn't want you to be a Christian, but boy, if, if you're going to be a Christian, he wants to be the most mediocre and average and disengaged Christian you can be. And so if, if maybe you're not getting attacked spiritually, and let me just say this, and, and I'll, I'll let you vet the theology in just a moment. <laughs> let me just say this. If you're not being challenged spiritually, if you're not having fiery darts thrown at you on, a, on any regular basis, maybe you need to take a step back and say, am I a threat? Spiritually speaking, am I Am I doing kingdom work? Because if I'm not under the pressure, if I'm not going through trials, then maybe it's because I've become so mediocre, both practically and and uh, spiritually. And, and I wouldn't want I wouldn't want us to have this conversation and and not acknowledge those periods in life where there's no stress. They're healthy for mm -hmm. a season, but if you can look back over a long period of time and say I'm not under any stress. I, man, it's just easy to live in. I'm just coasting. Mm -hmm. You got to be careful in your life whenever you say either spiritually or practically speaking, I'm coasting because you're probably missing something. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He he wants a man to be disengaged because when a man leans in and is engaged and is walking with God, uh, that's a dangerous man in the kingdom. Completely agree. And, and I think that's where this whole topic that we're discussing comes from, is when you're engaged, when you're leaning in, when you're pushing boundaries, and I don't mean in unhealthy ways, I mean you're looking to take something to the next level relationally and vocationally or whatever it is. I think you're going to encounter these, these really, really stressful times, the, the, these periods of time in which there is some massive amounts of pressure on you. And I'm talking about when you want to take your job and, and, and you want to get bumped up to the next managerial level, the next administrative level, when you want to be given more responsibility. It's not easy. And, and, and you know, I referenced Maxwell earlier because what he says is, he says, if you want to accomplish certain elements of greatness in your job and your relationships and, and different aspirations you have, it is an uphill battle all the time. Mm. And isn't that the truth when you talk about consistency and discipline? When you're coasting, something's wrong. And, and you've probably checked out. You've probably become ineffective in whatever arena you're coasting in. I'm going to challenge you right now. Embrace the stress. I didn't say live in the same degree of stress today that you were five years ago. I'm saying embrace it for what it is, the trial that's going to make you into a more mature person. Embrace it today. Mm -hmm. And then also embrace what's coming, which is some really good stuff, right? You're going to see... Greater impact vocationally. You're going to see greater impact in your relationships because you're going to be mature. Mm -hmm. And that, I, I used to dread the stress. I used, I mean, I used to, I told you, I cried. I physically cried at certain elements of stress until I finally realized, wait a second, this is all part mm -hmm. of the maturation process. And so whereas I used to get called into the ER in, in you know, the dark hours of the night, and I would just, I would tremble because you're seeing something you've never seen before and life is hanging in the balance. I now walk into the ER with a supernatural degree of confidence and I can look at a situation and I can say, well, God, I've never seen this one before. This is a new one on me. 
And this is pretty serious. But you brought me to this point on purpose. You've brought this situation for me on purpose. And together, we're going to handle it. Together with God, we're going to handle it. That is such good wisdom. And a big thanks to Dr. Ronnie Hammers for being with us on the podcast. I think what he shared directly applies to all of us. Just that idea of not trying to escape the pressure, but allowing God to form something on the inside of us in those seasons of pressure and allowing God to empower us and help us to be fruitful and effective right where he's called us is so important. And so we've got some some more really good conversations coming up over the next few weeks. If you haven't already subscribed on iTunes, I want to encourage you to do that. And if you want to stay in the loop on what's happening with New Life Men, different events and gatherings, and find out about the Fire Team small groups happening, you can find out more at newlifechurch.org slash men. 